0: i have the privilege today of um, introducing someone to you who will be sharing with us for the next two weeks on the topic of apologetics and um, that is a friend of mine ashley van der walt and if you hear his accent today it's a little bit more canadianized than i am Um, but you will still hear he's got a south african accent yes we're everywhere so ashley um, came to Canada in 2019 to serve as the worship director at Springvale Church in Stovall, And as part of his bachelor's degree studies, about three years ago, he started on social media to do apologetics. So his social media handle is The Social Apologist. And for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to tell you more about it. But apologetics is about defending our faith in a rational way. And for the next couple of weeks, for the next two weeks, Ashley is going to be sharing with us about that. Currently, he's actually d- doing his master's, and his thesis is also about, guess what, apologetics, but specifically in how it impacts um, the Islam religion and defending our faith um, in that regard. So I'm going to introduce him to you, and let's give him a warm welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for, um, for being here with us, and I was planning to be in South Africa, so I'm glad I can actually be here to hear what, what you're going to say. May God speak through you today. Thank you so much, Louis. It is good to be
1: here. Um, let's just start in a word of prayer, and then we will kick things off. Uh, Father, we are thankful for this morning. I am thankful that you are here with us. I pray that you will raise our awareness of your presence. Uh, Father, may your Holy Spirit lead through us lead through me this morning as i bring the word father may you receive all the glory may all the truth be grounded in your truth not our truth and father may may you use this morning's service this morning's message in a way that you see fit because you have the best plan for all of us your will is good and father any any outside interference any spiritual attacks anything like that 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 might happen this morning father i pray that you will stop it at the door May this space this morning be a place, um, a holy place, where, where you are here with us, that you fill the space that we experience your presence. And Father, I pray the protection over this building in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me just test if this is working. While Louis was speaking, I was like, I wonder if this works. Oh, that way. Oh, there it is, my name. All right, so good morning, church. My name is Ashley. Uh, All right, but I'm speaking in English, so it's fine. Um, As Louis had mentioned, uh, an apologist is someone who defends the Christian faith, who speaks in defense of Christianity, um, but also who answers tough questions. Um, A lot of my work, a lot of what I do is speaking to people who have questions, who sometimes attack Christianity. Um, And when we come to apologetics, the word apologia literally means Um, speaking in defense so this comes from first peter 3 verse 15 and 16 and it says but in your hearts regard christ the lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do this with gentleness and reverence keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused those who disparage your good conduct will be put to shame now, as i was mentioning i spent a big chunk of my time engaged in online ministry uh, which is called the social apologist um, i don't have a good reason for the name I, it was available so i chose it <laughs> um, but this entails writing articles um, making videos both long form and short form videos uh, but also engaging in online debates now i mean whether that's on on um, tick whether it's on youtube instagram facebook um, i try and meet people where they are and on the platforms that they use so And the audience, the people I usually speak to, is essentially anyone who's not a Christian, who has questions, or who bashes Christianity, as was mentioning. Now, over the next two Sundays, we're speaking about, like today, um, presenting a case for the existence of God and the existence of Jesus, uh, with the intention of equipping you in sharing this with those who doubt, who maybe have questions, questions. both in God and Jesus' existence. Now, an important thing to remember is when we speak to someone who is not a Christian, they don't regard our Bible as an authoritative source. Now, what does that mean? Well, when we say, well, God exists because the Bible says so, and Jesus existed because the Bible said so, that's like saying, well, Spider-Man exists because the comic book says so. So we can't always use that line of thinking, that line of reasoning, Because then anyone and anything can exist and all religions can be true because their book says so. So we have to look what outside of our sources also point to the existence of Jesus as a historical figure. What can we use within God's natural revelation that points to God when we look outside of the Bible? And hopefully when someone is intellectually honest and they're looking to pursue truth or Christianity... Uh, they turn to the actual sources, God's special revelation, which is his inspired word, the Bible. Now, who here knows someone who does not believe in God? Oh, good, yes, right audience. All right, (laughs) who here has ever had doubts in God's existence throughout your entire life? Like a single thought, I wonder if he's real. Yeah, good. We can be honest. Um, I've had that too. Um, Who here has ever been asked to defend their faith but felt like they couldn't do that adequately? All right, good. I'm really at the right audience. (laughs) All right. Um, Who here feels confident that they can prove God's existence right now without using the Bible, God exists if someone were to ask them? Ah, Three, good. Four, good. It's good. Still at the right audience. (laughs) Now, I recently engaged, two weeks ago, first two weeks in January, I engaged uh, with an online debate on TikTok with a physicist, and he's always live. He, he His uh, title is, God is a myth, and uh, join if you disagree, and I, I watch his stuff, and sometimes I, I, I'm like, man, I wish I was live, so I, I requested to join live, and it took about an hour before he let me on. I was like, oh, come on, man, it's like, I almost got to go home, <laughs> and um. So he finally let me on, and I presented a case for God's existence, which we'll be going through today, which was simply three premises. If premise one is true and premise two is true, therefore premise three is true, all right? Um, so we spent 45 minutes, agree, and then we agreed that premise one is true, right? Like he, he was one of those that questioned everything. Like, how do you know I'm actually here type of conversations? Um, <laughs> so it took 45 minutes, and he granted me premise one. Then I spent another 15 minutes going through premise two, and then I had to go. I was also his last guest. My wife was waiting. She's in the mother's room right now. Uh, Three babies, not babies, three kids. It's a lot, so I had to go. So unfortunately, we couldn't finish the debate, um, but today we'll be going through that argument or that case that I presented to him, and it's called the Kalam Cosmological Argument, uh, the Law of Causality. So... You don't have to remember about the name and all that type of stuff. You, had, you have a handout. So we're going to go through the premises, the name of it. All of it's there. So um, I don't want you getting sidetracked with making too many notes or anything like that. It's there. Uh, you can go read up a lot about it. But it's really important that we focus uh, through this. So don't worry about the big names. Don't worry about memorizing everything right now. But it would be really good if you did. Now, it goes like these. Oh, my slides are ignoring me. Uh, premise one. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Everything that begins to exist has a cause, right? Premise two, the universe began to exist. If premise one and premise two is true, then premise three will follow. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean therefore God. That would be God of the gaps. That would be like, well, all right, sure. It can be that the universe has a cause, but we have to first prove premise one and two to be true. All right, so... Let's look at premise one. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Now, this is true for each and every one of us in this room today. It is, we all began at the moment of conception, uh, which means we have a cause, which is our parents. If there are any little kids, you'll learn about the birds and the bees soon. (laughs) I'm sorry, parents, Uh, biology. Um, And when we look at the things in our pockets, like let's say this thing or my iPhone, it has a date of manufacture, so it began to exist. Therefore, it has a cause, which is the factory and the workers that made it. So just like that, we can look at all the things in our universe that begin to exist having a cause. Now, saying that something begins to exist without a cause is essentially like saying a hippo will pop out of the sky right here, fall on the floor and run around. That's like thinking a Tesla will just fall down and I'll take it. So that's what it is if, that's what it means if you say, well, not everything that begins to exist has a cause. So I think it's more reasonable and logical to conclude that, all right, everything that begins to exist has a cause rather than it has no cause at all. All right? Anyone see any hippos pop into existence lately? No? (laughs) All right, good. Uh, So let's look at premise. Oh, my slides just keep going. Oh, that's not good. I'm not sure where it is right now. Um, so let's look at premise two. The universe began to exist. If you can see the slide names at the back there, I'm at slide 10 right now, if that helps. Slide number 10. But I'm not sure if you can see the names or just count them through. There's 38, 38 of them. So good luck. Uh, premise two, the universe began to exist. Yeah, that's good. This one. Perfect. All right, the universe began to exist. Uh, for this premise, I'm going to be looking at what modern science shows us. Now, we can all agree or disagree in this room. What we think about science does not matter for the other person because our feelings have to take second place. We have to meet people where they are. If they subscribe to a scientific worldview, does science lead to God? That's the question. Can their worldview bring us to God's existence? Because remember, as a Christian, we believe that everything in our natural universe, everything around us, space, time, and matter, that is all truths about God. Like if God created it and we're studying it, it's truths about God, right? The first universities—Oxford, um, Princeton, Stanford, and Harvard—were all founded by Christian founders because they wanted to study and analyze God's creation further. All right. So when we look at um, scientific worldviews and looking at Albert Einstein, we all know who he is. His equations changed his understanding of the universe from being eternal and static to have having a beginning and its expansion. Now, check this out. Yeah, I think we're, we're on track. If his theory of general relativity was true, it meant that the universe was not eternal, but had a beginning. Einstein's calculations, indeed, were revealing a definitive beginning of all time, space, and matter. So science demonstrates that our universe that we're in right now, it's not infinite. It doesn't just go on forever and ever and ever. That was the case until general relativity, until... Very recently, scientists thought that the universe is just everlasting. It doesn't need a creator. It doesn't need God because it never began to exist. And Einstein changed everything. All right. So we're going to look at the acronym SURGE. And in a little bit, I'm going to get you to stand up, turn around, and sit down. Just get the the blood flowing because this is a lot of, like, it's intense. All right. So the S in SURGE. Now, this is an acronym that's going to help us defend premise two. The universe began to exist. right? There's more than just general relativity. The second law of thermodynamics, or the law of entropy, essentially it means that everything tends to bring things to disorder. With with time, things naturally fall apart. Which means, with time, my car breaks. With time, my house is going to break. With time, I'm going to break. That's what law of entropy is. Now, how does this point to the beginning of the universe? Well, because there's usable energy in our universe, it means that not enough time has gone by to change all the energy into unusable energy. Maybe in high school, you remember, um, energy cannot be created or destroyed, only transformed from one form to another. So energy is always there, we just can't use it forever. So the fact that we still have usable energy, in reverse, means that there was a point in time where everything was usable energy, which points to the beginning of time. Um, all right, that's S. Let's go to U of surge. So the universe is expanding. Now, how does the universe expanding point to the beginning? Well, if you think about it, we can see the expansion right now through the Hubble telescope. In reverse, the universe expanding comes to a singular point. Now, that singular point not the size of a basketball, nor the size of a golf ball, not even the size of a pinhead. But mathematically and logically speaking, It's a point that is actually nothing. No space, no time, no matter. So in other words, once there was nothing and then bang, there was something, (laughs) the entire universe exploded into being. This, of course, is what is commonly called the Big Bang. Now remember what I said. It does not matter whether we agree with certain worldviews, scientific worldviews, because our views right now in this conversation with someone who does not believe in Christianity, doesn't matter. What matters is their worldview. Does their worldview lead to God? Because if that does, they have to be intellectually honest with themselves, all right? I know in church right now, there's a big thing going on, like young earth, old earth. Man, how old is the earth? Is it 6,000 years old? Is it 4.6 billion years old? Again, for the conversation at hand, when you're speaking to someone who doesn't even believe in God, your feelings don't matter regarding this topic, because in both primary doctrines do not change, and you can have fun with it. It's a tertiary issue. If you've never heard of that, it's a, it's a, it's a fun rabbit hole to explore. Um, and if you find this is what you're holding on to for your faith, you have to reorientate yourself and what you're thinking on because it's tertiary, it's not a primary issue. We're not discussing whether Jesus rose from the grave or not because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, Christianity is false. It's not one of those issues. All right, let's move on. R in Surge. So, this is about radiation from the Big Bang. So in 1965, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson discovered the cosmic background radiation from the Big Bang, which ultimately won them both the Nobel Prize. And here's a a quote from uh, Robert Jastrow. I wonder if there's a slide for this. No, there's not. Uh, No explanation other than the Big Bang has been found for the fireball radiation. The clincher, which has convinced almost the lost doubting Thomas, is that the radiation discovered by Penzias and Wilson has exactly the pattern of wavelengths expected for the light and heat produced in a great explosion. Supporters of the steady-state theory have tried desperately to find an alternative explanation, but they have failed. At the present time, the Big Bang theory has no competitors. Now, just, to, just, just so that we are all on the same page, the Big Bang theory doesn't explain how the universe began. It just explains the expansion of the universe, all right? So even if the Big Bang is true, it doesn't replace God. It just explains how God did it. If, if you're on that page, that side of the argument. All right. Again, it doesn't matter what we feel. It matters about their worldview. All right, let's carry on to the G in surge. Great galaxy seeds. Yeah, there it goes. Now, if the Big Bang actually occurred scientists believe that we should see slight variations in the temperature of the cosmic background radiation that Penzias and Wilson, the previous two guys who won Nobel Prizes, had discovered. So this is the next step. We have to find this, otherwise the Big Bang Theory didn't really happen. These temperature ripples enabled matter to congregate by gravitational attraction into galaxies. Oh, such big words. It found they would comprise a fourth line of scientific evidence that the universe had a beginning. And guess what? In 1992, they found these ripples. Uh, newspapers all around the world shared gospel smooth shocking quotes if you are religious it's like looking at god so let's look at the e in search now this is einstein's theory of general relativity his theory of general relativity is a fifth line of scientific evidence that the universe had a beginning remember we have to prove premise two and its discovery was the beginning of the end for the idea that the universe is eternal the theory itself, which has been verified to five decimal places, demands an absolute beginning for time, space, and matter. Now, this is really important. It shows that time, space, and matter are co-relative, interdependent. That you cannot have one without the other. Okay. Robert Jastrow is the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. He's an astronomer and agnostic, and he has a following to say about all of this put together that's not the right slide oh, let's see um, Jastro writes now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world the details differ but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same the chain of events leading to man commence suddenly and sharply at a definitive moment in time in a flash of light and energy The overwhelming evidence for the Big Bang and its consistency with the biblical accounts in Genesis led Jastrow to observe in an interview. Astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they've proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, of every planet, of every living thing in the cosmos and on earth. And they found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. This is an astronomer that said that, who's also agnostic. He's not religious. Now, before we move on to premise three, uh, here in Toronto, we have an astrophysicist. His name is Hugh Ross. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, I think his ministry is called, oh, I can't remember. Great, great ministry. But his story is, he grew up, he was the youngest person ever to work on the Hubble telescope. Astrophysicist. Grew up atheist. Did not believe in Christianity. Did not believe in anything um, religious. And through his time studying, he was like, man, all of this speaks to a need for a causal agent. Something had to cause our universe. Uh, It's more reasonable to conclude that something caused it rather than nothing. Because nothing are things that rocks dream of. So... Astrophysicist Hugh Ross then explored all world religions. He was like, well, if there's a causal agent, if there's a creator of our universe, is it possible that this creator could reveal himself? He thinks it's possible. So he explored all the religions and all the creation accounts. And he came to Christianity getting it right. Now, he translated the biblical word yom for day into a long but finite period of time. It's four literal meanings. He chose that one. And he's observed three planetary formations in his lifetime. Um, And he says, Earth, through its planetary formation, got it right according to Genesis. That's pretty cool. He became a Christian. He's now a pastor, apologist, and still an astrophysicist professor at University of Toronto. So go pop in and give him a high five if you're ever in the region. All right, let's see if this is working. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. There's the that quote's done. We've said that since premise one is true and premise two is true, therefore premise three is true. The universe has a cause. Now, what do we know about the cause of the universe? We cannot say therefore God. Therefore God exists. Um, but now that we've established that the universe has a cause we can now apply deductive reasoning in saying "Well, what must be true by necessity about the causal agent. When I say causal agent, I'm meaning creator. We as Christians would see that, well, a creator creates. If this began to exist, the cause or causal agent, just in case that name is getting um, running away, the causal agent, what can we deduce is true about the causal agent. Now, In deductive reasoning, it's like taking something like my iPhone and saying, if I did not know that people in a factory made this thing, by just observing it, what can I say is true? Whatever made this, what has to be true about whatever made this? Well, first, there's gloss, so there has to be heat involved, shaping gloss, cutting gloss, so a cutting mechanism is necessary. Uh, There's other materials, so the ability to either bend materials, cut materials, uh, all these things have to be true. Then there's a whole bunch of... um, Transistors, uh, capacitors, resistors in here, a whole circuit. Copper wires, leading electricity, a whole bunch of ways. So whatever causes has to be able to produce all of that stuff. But then there's also a software element to it. There's apps on here. There's software. Someone has to be able to program software. So there's a mind. There's there, Something has a capacity to choose, firstly, to make this. Something has the mind and the capacity to program the software, something has the mind and capacity to make it work and achieve certain tasks. Now, if you didn't know that a factory and humans were involved, everything I just said is still true, right? And that's what deductive reasoning is. We, we deduce by observing this, what can the cause have? What attributes, by necessity, does the causal agent of this have to have? Has to have, have to have, that's bleh. All right. Uh, so let's look at our universe okay we're gonna we're gonna perform the same deductive reasoning on the causal agent of our universe what has to be true about the causal agent so good job all right so space time and matter came into existence at the big bang we saw that in general relativity they are codependent they cannot exist without the other one So that means the causal agent is timeless in order to create time, spaceless in order to create space, and immaterial in order to create matter. Like we said, there's a factory that made this iPhone, and the causal agent cannot be within the iPhone. The factory and the people have to be outside of the iPhone to make the iPhone, right? Same with our universe. Whatever created our universe cannot be within the universe to create it, because the the universe was not there for it to create out of. Does that make sense? So whatever calls our universe has to be outside of it and its parameters. Right, we know that the factory achieves certain things that the iPhone cannot. Right? All right. So we have timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Those are attributes right now that the causal agent has to have. By necessity, space, time, and matter began to exist the causal agent, the creator, has to be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. But there's more. <laughs> With the amount of energy in our universe, it means that the causal agent, in order to create all of this energy, has to be extremely powerful. Right? The energy does not just self-exist. The causal agent has to create it. Now, you might say, actually, the first law of thermodynamics says that energy cannot be created or destroyed. The law, that law is limited to the natural universe, right? If someone puts a software parameter in my phone, you cannot apply that parameter or law. Oh, iPhone, you're not allowed to listen to my voice all the time. Um, (laughs) It does not mean that I am now not allowed to listen to my own voice all the time. So there are certain laws require a law giver, all right? So you cannot apply those laws on the causal agent beyond those because all... um, quantum laws, all uh, quantum mechanics, physics, everything, all of that is limited to our natural universe, right? So that's why the lo- first law of thermodynamics will not work against the causal agent or against God. Now, I'm saying this because sometimes people be like, Ashley, you just said that, but we see the first law of thermodynamics says energy cannot be created. So how can your causal agent create energy if it cannot be created? You're applying the law, that law of physics, something that is beyond those laws it's a category fallacy you can't do that Um, sometimes people also ask well your first premise says everything that begins to exist has a cause what caused god what caused god well listen to the first premise everything everything that begins to exist if you ask the question well what caused god you're assuming god began to exist if God did not begin to exist you cannot use a premise on him. Also if God began to exist he would not be God. All right. Because we do not live in an infinite universe, an infinite because infinity, infinite regress is a thing, there has to be one uncaused first cause that created everything. If you do not have one uncaused very first uncaused thing to start everything, you have something called infinite regress. Um, it's a whole topic in itself. It means today would have never happened because there's an infinite amount of yesterdays that should have happened before today. Anyway, moving on. It's a lot, I know. <laughs> Next one. Um, extremely powerful, yes. Extremely powerful, yep. All right. Okay, let's move on. Personal. Pretty sure I had a slide for this. Um, what do i mean by personal so yes timeless spaceless, immaterial and extremely powerful but when we look at personal what do i mean by that see now personal means able to make a choice have the capacity to choose to do something impersonal forces like a rock cannot choose to cause anything a rock does not choose to cause a landslide the rock causes a landslide because wind blew it and it just started rolling Alright? That's an impersonal force. A personal force is something that has the capacity to think. The capacity to choose to do something. The choice matters. Remember this iPhone? That's why humans are involved. Because the capacity, the deductive argument that we can conclude is there's a capacity to choose to create this iPhone. There's a capacity to choose to program apps on this iPhone. There's a capacity to choose to put certain parameters within this iPhone. Same thing, an impersonal force like a rock. Let's say the first uncaused first cause, the first thing of everything was impersonal, a rock. How would anything get caused? Like, how would anything start? There's nothing else to push the rock to roll to cause a whole universe because it's the very first uncaused first thing. All right, let's all stand up. (laughs) All right, so we're standing. Um, It's very important that we get the blood flowing. Let's turn around in a circle. I know it sounds silly. I'll do it with you. Yes. There we go. All right. Let's take our seats. (laughs) I did this in my church, and Ed was like, I don't know why you did that, but that was pretty smart. I was like, thank you. (laughs) Uh, I hope this is what it continues to be. Um, So like we said, we now have timeless, spaceless, immaterial, extremely powerful, And personal, meaning having the capacity to choose to cause something, right? So, now we're going to talk about morality. Now, it might seem like, man, this is a, like, where is this coming from? Um, But morality is what's right or wrong. You know, we all have this innate sense within ourselves to say why is something right or wrong, because it's like we're appealing to a higher standard of why something is right or wrong, right? Right? Because what's, what's true for the, the opposite? If there's nothing beyond us, a, a standard that we're striving to, a, like this moral law, if there's nothing there, nothing can be right or wrong. Because all it takes for something to be right or wrong is uh, an opinion. So I think it is morally wrong to intentionally harm, for fun, a two-year-old child. I think that's morally wrong. Now, is it wrong just because I said so? Because if that's the truth, if it's wrong just because I said so, then all it takes for that to be morally okay, morally right, is for someone else to say, oh no, that's fine, you can do that. And that's the, that's the harm, that's the, the uncertainty, the space you never want to be in is a subjective, relativistic, your truth is true for you and my truth is true for me. Absolute truth exists. Because if you say absolute truth does not exist, Is that statement absolutely true? Well, if it is, then absolute truth exists. If it's not absolutely true, then it still exists. So it's self-defeating. Because absolute truth exists, something is either morally right or morally wrong. But for absolute truth to exist, there needs a, a standard of truth is needed. There's a necessity of what is the objective standard of morality? What's the objective standard of all things good? Because there's a reason all of us feel this innate sense within ourselves that certain things are objectively morally wrong regardless of opinion, regardless of laws, regardless of your feelings. It'll always be morally wrong. Now, what's the explanation? Why is it that through cultures, through society, before any colonization there were innate senses of morality ingrained in humanity? A reasonable belief is that, well... If I can deduce that there are certain parameters which in my iPhone can operate, like we program certain rules, certain laws, certain parameters to operate in, it's reasonable to conclude that the causal agent having a personal capacity to choose to do things can do the same. Moral law requires a moral law giver. Laws of physics require a law giver. And that's a philosophical argument. But let's move on. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable philosophical argument. So, went through that. I forgot to, I, I, I got on a rampage here. Um, so when we look at the attributes of the causal agent, we said timeless in order to create time, spaceless in order to create space, immaterial in order to create matter, extremely powerful for all the energy in our universe, personal, able to make decisions, and a moral lawgiver. You can, be, you can be way on the moral law giver. If you don't have the philosophical background of that, maybe leave that one out. But it's there, and it's a reasonable and logical conclusion to make. So if we have all of these attributes, how do we get to God? Like, how do we just say, all right, God is that? Well, it takes a couple of steps. Let's first see if these things are true. Is God timeless? Yes. God has always existed. Uh, colossians 1 17 and will always exist psalm 90 verse 2 god calls himself the i am that is the eternally existing one exodus three fourteen and john 8 58 he calls himself the first and the last revelations 1 verse 17 to 18 is god spaceless yes for god to be omnipresent he needs to be spaceless god is spirit psalm 139 verse 7 to 12 jeremiah 23 verse 24 i'm not going to read through all these scriptures but they're there and they're in your handout as well if you want to go follow up on them uh, is God immaterial? Yes, God is spirit, which means uh, a non-physical entity. John 4, 24, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Is God extremely powerful? Well, according to Jeremiah 32, 17 and Psalm 135, verse 6, God is omnipotent, which means to have unlimited power. But well, what about personal? Is, is God personal? Does he have the capacity... To make decisions well according to genesis 1 1 the very first book um, it seems so and colossians 1 verse 16 um, because he has created all things there is a capacity in the mind to think there's many more verses that we can go into maybe ask well all right if there is a moral law giver is god morally and perfectly good now according to john 3 verse 16 which a lot of us christians know that's true 1 John 4, verse 8, Leviticus 19, verse two, First 1 Peter 1, verse 16, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, and James verse uh, 5, verse 11. Says the following, that he's all loving, that he's all righteous, all holy, all just, all forgiving, and all compassionate. Now that's true, if he is the standard of all these things, he, he knows all things, it's safe to say that well, he is morally good. See, the the God of the Bible is in the league of his own. You'll see there's way more that we can say which is true about God. Now, we've spoken about God as if he's a distant, transcendent being. But God also came to us. God didn't just make the world and remain silent. Some religions believe that. That the creator is not in his creation. He does not enter his creation. He does not really care about his creation. That's not what the God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible came and took on human nature and human flesh. We see in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 3 goes on to say that everything was made through Him. Verse 14 goes on to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm pretty sure the causal agent over the universe has the capacity to do that. Like, I can open up my iPhone, go in there, I can open up the software and program it and change a whole bunch of things. I can... I. We can enter this creation. It just follows that the causal agent of the whole universe can also enter its creation, the creator. All right? He's revealed himself and his son, Jesus. All right, well, now we have to bring up the question, how do we know Jesus is real? Is it just because your Bible says so? Is it just because the book says so? Because, again, Spider-Man's real. Or is Jesus real according to ancient historical standards? if we use the same standard for Cleopatra, Alexander the Great, Caesar, if we use the same standard, do we still get to Jesus and what is true about him? If we were to never open up our Bibles, what can we say is true about Jesus? Did he exist? What attributes did he have? Was he really crucified if we were to never open the Bible? And that's what we're talking, we're speaking on this next week. So please come back, bring a friend. But... When it comes to our topic of today, we were speaking about God's natural revelation, what he has revealed in nature. That's one of the first points when people have never heard of Christianity, that's how they experience and see and encounter God, is through his creation. Our hope in these conversations is to lead people down a path from natural revelation, ancient history, there's a whole bunch of other ones, to a point where they explore God's special revelation. Which is his divinely inspired word. If you want to learn about Caesar, you go to the book about Caesar. If you want to learn about Alexander the Great, you go to the book about Alexander the Great. We have to first establish is there authority behind that book? Is there authority or truth behind these things? Or is it in the same league as a comic book? I'm excited about next week. Um, So let's pray. Father, all truths within our universe whether we have them right or wrong, still belong to you. So all truths point to you. Father, as we explore this topic, there was, it was heavy, it was a lot of words, a lot of uh, big stuff, but I pray that you will receive the glory through this. Uh, Father, as we have seen, you're not a distant God. But you're a God who cares about its creation. You're a God who entered its creation, uh, became man, suffered, the biggest suffering that anyone could ever suffer because of the love that you have for your creation. Father, I I pray that we will continue to learn more about you. Encourage us. Invite us. Because you've, you've, you've shown us in your word that we should always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks us. So being prepared is to help us prepare. So Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you are accessible. I thank you for your, your word, your inspired book, your Bible, the Holy Bible. Father, I'm also thankful for your creation, your natural revelation that still points to you. Father, as we move into a time now for communion, um, may we also remember the suffering that you had endured on the cross. Caring so much about your creation that you took the sins of the world. It was our fault. You took it on your your shoulders. You died on the cross for that. So that all it takes is a choice to fully believe what you've done for us. And that you are God. To turn our lives around and and submit it to you. Father, it's a daily battle. It's a daily struggle. Um, But we know that you are at the end of that We thank you for who you are, your truth, your love. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.